Do you believe in alternate universes? You are listening to Delayed Replay. The Improvised Movie Review Podcast. Wink. Everything is fine here. We're all fine. Just sit tight and listen to them talk about the movies they definitely saw. Don't delay. Don't delay. We have to listen right away. Still a vampire. Drinking water. My dog has been keeping me company. Successfully staved off the hunger for now. Stave is even the right word. Uh, stave. Almost sounds like Steve. I think I'm regaining some energy. Um, uh, I'll try, try to speak as best as I can while podcasting. A lot of podcasting to do tonight. Whew. Hopefully those evil worms don't meddle with the recording too much. The overlapping voices and whatnot, but we'll see. Okay, uh, okay. Think I'm composed enough. I can do this. I can do this. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay here on channel 1138. I'm Stephen Schinder, your host, as always. And usually we review movies, but this time we're talking about a novel that came out about a week ago uh, called Star Wars The High Republic Into the Dark. And we got through it pretty quickly. We're like very excited to talk about it. So, first off, uh, the first of these two guests, you've heard him before on the other High Republic episodes. You may know him as Star Raptor. It is Chris Abbott. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Mark. Yeah, it's been a cool journey we've gotten so far with the High Republic. Uh, we've you know, started things off with Light of the Jedi, and here we are. And we're talking about the third book here, and it's it's been going along pretty well. Uh, all things aside, I'm really enjoying the series so far. I'm looking into getting into the deep details with Into the Dark tonight. Yeah, that will be a lot of fun talking about this one. And uh, yeah, Chris uh, mentioned him. He is, it is, um, you, you may have heard him on the Star Wars Report or on Star Wars Beyond the Films. It is Mark Herleman. Hey guys, how we doing tonight? Looking forward to this. It's uh Feels almost like a return to the New Jedi Order, having a big, weird, conglomerated series that's not a series, that is a series, that's acting like a series. I'm excited either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think a lot of us Star Wars book readers have been missing that, like, big event that doesn't have to be, um, I guess, informed by what happens in the films. Like, it kind of be its own thing. So this High Republic thing has been very refreshing in that aspect of just like having something that doesn't have to be um overruled by like what's in the films or whatever mm -hmm. yeah definitely what we've been waiting for as the canon junkies out there like ah oh, we've gotten a couple trilogies but we won a full-fledged ongoing series like where's that been here we go we got it <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
But before we get into it, uh, Chris, I understand you went to New York City Comic Con recently, right? Oh, yeah. So New York Comic Con is like my home convention. I, I live in New Jersey, so it's uh, literally an hour and a half train ride to get to Manhattan from where I live. So I've been going there since 2015. And every year, it seems like it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's slowly kind of crept out of the Javits Center and it goes into Madison Square Garden. There's huge, huge panels there. Uh, you got the Hammerstein Ballroom that has huge panels and it, it, it really takes over New York City. It's really awesome. If you guys are in the area in the beginning of October, the first weekend of October, it usually goes from third that Thursday to that Sunday. And it's got everything from video games to movies to tv to of course comic books is like the huge draw i mean they have the largest artist alley in like the world i want to say like literally that if you're an artist or a writer or anything with comics you try your best to be there because they have so many creators there and it's so fun because you just bump into anybody and you just have a great conversation about the comic books they've done i've gotten many a star wars comics signed and have had great conversations with somebody that was actually part of Star Wars High Republic. I've met Charles Soule a few times, and he's just such a cool guy. But yeah, th this year, New York Comic Con, really, I, I think they had some of the best presence when it came to the Disney uh, Lucasfilm brand. So they've had some stuff with Star Wars in the past. Like they've had one year with The Last Jedi. They didn't have a panel or anything, but they had a huge presence on the showroom floor. They had what was like a, a couple different costumes of the Praetorian Guards. They had some actual models and really cool like exhibit. Um, another year they had like a little cool photo op with uh, the Star Wars Resistance uh, fireball ship um, that you could take a picture with with BB-8. But up until this year, they haven't had that huge panel that you would expect to see at something like Comic-Con in San Diego or Star Wars Celebration. And I was hoping for it. And man, if they delivered, we got a Mandalorian panel at Madison Square Garden. I waited in line for like five hours. I, I got there at like 5 a.m. And I actually met up with Dominic Jones from the Star Wars Underworld because me and him have been powering around for the last couple of years. And yeah, it was worth the wait because Jon Favreau was there. Dave Filoni was there. You had the whole cast, you know, Gina Carano. You had Pedro Pascal. You had... All those guys up on stage just having a blast with uh, all of us uh, people in the Tri-State area and whoever else comes in from all over the world there. And they showed us the first episode of season two and and a trailer that nobody else has seen. So for those that were there in the audience, it was one of those moments that you won't forget because it was like, yeah, we got this this cool uh, episode that I don't even want to talk about because there's some seriously like mind-blowing <laughs> stuff. You guys have to experience it for yourself because it's coming out very soon. Um, and that wasn't all. So that same night, that was on uh, Friday, um, that Friday night, everybody that was like in the audience um, got access to like the special events, like after party. It was like eight o'clock in this undisclosed uh, location. And it was literally like they recreated like that that cantina bar from like Navarro where the client is and like all this stuff. And they had literally like the blue drinks. This, I guess, I guess they call it Spotchka. Um, that was from, um, uh, the, the planet Sauron, whatever. I forget the planet's name. The one that was in episode, uh, episode four. Yeah. Episode four 
where they find Cara Dune. They had that blue glowy stuff, and I don't know how they made it because it literally was like neon blue. But it was it was fantastic because you had like people walking around in these costumes that were like like straight out of the show. I couldn't believe it, man. Like me and Dominic Jones were just like, dude, what are we even doing here? Are we actually in New York? Or are we actually somewhere else in the galaxy? Because and then you had like a droid that was like. I guess like the droid almost similar to like the one Rex from Galaxy's Edge, which was like disc jockey. I, I tell you, it was like the best party I've ever been to. I was like, we were up to like <laughs> 2 a.m. It was like unbelievable. Like, you know, it was like I had to pay. We had to pay ourselves because we had to find our way home that night. You know what I mean? But it was it was phenomenal. We actually like rubbed elbows with with John Favreau himself. It was like we did a double day. We we're like, holy crap that's him you know and there, there were so <laughs> many celebrities there too um that we were bumping into like ryan reynolds and pretty good like it was it was unbelievable like i we always talk every year about like new york comic-con having like some of the best like after party type of experiences like last year me and dominic went to the watchman party and that was really really fun and uh this, this year just absolutely topped it and then and then the next day was Saturday. They showed us the first uh, the first footage of WandaVision. It, they had a panel. Disney Plus like really was blowing the thing out of proportion because then we had a panel with WandaVision and they had all the actors there from that. So like Disney Plus went all out near Comic Con this year. Um, and of course, you know we're talking about the High Republic. They had a phenomenal High Republic panel there. So that was that was great learning about all what's going to come with uh, Phase Two. And, uh, you know, they didn't want to give they didn't want to talk about the current stuff too much because they wanted to give everybody a chance to read it because it's been just so recent that they didn't really want to get too much into the weeds yet for sake of spoilers for some of the audience. But it was still awesome to see like all the writers actually in the same room just chatting it up with their experiences. And and yeah, so New York Comic Con, I, I came away with uh buying a couple action figures as well as usual you know star wars the black series uh that's like a gold mine if you're looking for that stuff i never find it in my local walmarts or anything but when i go to new york comic i'm like where ha- where the heck has this stuff been because it's been literally nowhere that i've ever seen in my neighborhood and then they have duplicates of everything at every other stand you can find so um it was exhausting you know it was four days of just con experience and and you know by the by sunday i'm like damn near dead like a zombie um and i usually have lost my voice by then as usual but uh you know i'm I'm doing all right and i'm looking forward to seeing how they can top themselves in 2021 for the next one nice Um, so yes uh mark i'm curious do you have any black series figures oh yeah yeah um i i didn't plan on getting any black series figures i was like Oh, six inch line. Yeah, I don't need you. I got my 3.75. And then all the 3.75 was five points of articulation. I was like, curse your lack of articulation. I got R2-D2. <laughs> I was like, I'll just get a droid, right? Like, no, no harm with droid. It's not a gateway drug. Oh, yes, it was. I, I got a whole bunch <laughs> more now. I've got boxes uh, behind me. Like, I, I, I'm in the process of redoing my studio. So all the openers that I have out and about, I use the boxes sideways to kind of like block the the concrete pavers in the background of my shelves. 
But now that I've got some really nice ones up there, I, I made these space scenes and I put them up for the empty boxes. I'm like, I don't think I want to throw them away because like they still look cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, man, these Black Series figures are just on point with the articulation. Um, you know, I've got uh, the Vizsla character from The Mandalorian sitting here on the desk with me. Uh, Jaina Solo off to the side. I mean, I've got them all around the studio, but I'm constantly tinkering with them. And my favorites are the clones and the Mandalorian figures, because mm -hmm. the way that those are able to be yes. positioned and almost all of the Mandalorian ones, aside from, uh, you know, well, I guess we got the new Mandalorian with the jetpack finally. But if we had uh, Sabine Wren with the jetpack, like that would just be the, the last thing I need. <laughs> because I've got Boba and I got Django flying on some fishing line somewhere and they just look magnificent. Oh. Like I, it, it's like five different poses with each character. Like there's like just five favorites that I have to rotate through and I could do a lot more than that, but it's like these five are just like the bomb. Right. And with the clone troopers, Oh my God. And like, you can really, I mean, let, let's put it like this. Okay. I've got a 3.75 uh, battle droid. And then I, I, Happened to pick up a battle droid at uh, GameStop when I was pre-ordering Darth Nihilus, or Nihilus, or however you say his name. I, I had them both side by side. And what I can do with that Black Series one, you would never be able to do with the other one. You, you go with any kind of a stance too wide on a 3.75 and they're falling over all the time. You have to have their base stand. Uh, with this one, I've got him currently, he's got his left hand on the ground and his right hand's taking the blaster and holding it up. And he's like break dancing across the ground. It looks sick, man. Just looks sick. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've, I've tapped that well and, uh, it's brutal. I, but I will admit though that the Haslabs, uh, Razor Crest has got me kind of wishing that I was still doing 3.75. But then the price tag reminds me that, no, I'm good. I, I don't need the life-size uh, 3.75 version of, of the Razor Crest. Yeah, it does look super sweet. <laughs> I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not much of a toy collector, but whenever I see new images of new Black Series stuff, it's like, oh my gosh, I wish I had this, especially the clone Shabur ones, because they look so good. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I mean, that they're my favorite by far because of just the what you can do with their hips. <laughs> hip still <Yeah>. lie, brothers <laughs> speaking of hip we are pretty hip by staying in tune with what's going on with the high republic um so mark uh me and chris have talked about how we felt about the stuff so far but how do you feel about the multimedia project overall like thus far well i mean yeah my go-to series in legends was always the new jedi order and i love the approach to storytelling with that um, you know, it was a series that didn't act like a series, but totally was a series. It was more of an era. You know, you got 20 books, but when you really look at it, they're all standalones, duologies and trilogies. And yet they told this big tapestry. So I, I like the way they announced the project and that immediately brought that to mind. Um, you know, like the way that the writers came together for that series, the New Jedi Order, they had like what they called a Bible of certain events and, and plot points that they were definitely going to be hitting as the, the story progressed. Uh, so really sharing the storytelling, you know, the, the, that's always been Star Wars at its best. Um, so that had me immediately excited. Then, you know, you, you see what the plot's about and you know, this whole, the great disaster and, and causing turbulence with hyperspace and what that would be. That immediately intrigued me. Uh, but I'm still like, as it's, unfolding kind of like digesting what we're actually getting because my mind went into a different direction i was like oh there's got to be like 
this got to be what explains why you can't do certain things in hyperspace and why they're so limited in time. Like I was thinking like maybe the original technology that they had to use to like go to warp basically gets knocked out and then they had to rediscover a new way to travel, which becomes hyperspace. No, they didn't go that direction. And I, I'm still not sure how I feel about it. Like I'm like, I don't, it's weird the way it's galaxy wide, I guess. Like, it just seems odd. Like, okay, we had a ship crash and now they're all dropping out of hyperspace. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, that is strange, right? Like the hyperspace, you think it goes from one location to another. Like you're starting at an origin point at one planet or one section of the galaxy. Then you're going to another destination. Now, how the heck is the wreckage going like in this obtuse direction, way off to the left or way off to the right of where you would end up? So, yeah, we don't understand hyperspace, and I guess that's fine. <laughs> well, that, and that's definitely been a change with, you know, since Canon has rebooted itself, a lot of the way they're treating hyperspace has been a little different than what we used to know. I mean, you know, we were watching Han and, and Poe doing hyperspace skipping, which is like, that shouldn't happen. Like, like that should, you should be crashing into those planets. Like everything that you have established before, this doesn't quite line up, but now this is the new norm. So I'm like, all right, I'm trying to, trying to get my head around that. And I love the fact though, that we still have references to a navigator's guild. And so it makes me immediately start thinking, cause like I, I'm reading, uh, Thrawn Ascendancy oh, right excellent now. Book. And yeah. And, and that brought up the navigator's guild pretty hard in a couple spots. Mm -hmm. And on Beyond the Films, me and my co-host Jim were going over the the uh, Tales of the Jedi. And even with those, you know, you, there was references to those guilds. And oh. it got me thinking, you know, like, well, what exactly would those guilds, you know, do? And then yet you have an ascendancy right now in canon. Yeah. Those guilds are still active, which makes me stop and think, like, I would have never really assumed that those type of guilds would be needed at that time frame of the galaxy. That you would think like ships would have navigational computers and all this stuff would be, you'd be able to Google what you need. But no, it's still just as wild today or, or the today of the story anyway. So it definitely had me thinking like how High Republic is going to play with this could elaborate why certain things are the way they are, or it could just add to the mystery and confusion. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like the Force, right? I feel like the mm -hmm. more things we learn about the Force in canon, the more confusing it is. So right. I just try not to think too hard about it, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this book, Into the Mark, uh, I mean, Into the Dark, sorry. Um, this is by Claudia Gray. And uh, Chris, what, what are your thoughts on Claudia Gray? Hands down, one of the best writers in, in Star Wars, uh, period. I mean, starting off with Lost Stars is a book that I think many people will say is their favorite out of canon, and it's one of the first books to come out in canon, which really proves to you that, man, it must be pretty good if it's still holding a candle to, like, several dozens of books that have come out since or whatever. Um, I think she's got a, a great concept of, of the galaxy at large and able to fill in blanks of different parts of the space in the story of the overall Star Wars story that really adds and enhances um, different facets and different characters. Like you're looking at all stars and it gives us this great perspective from the empire, but also from the rebellion at the same time, you're looking at bloodline, which goes into the formation of the resistance and, and gives us like some more introspective uh, different thoughts about Leia and, and how Ben Solo, uh, might have turned to the dark side simply by some actions she chose not to tell him. And, and 
different things like that. There's also uh, the book that I really like is Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which is sort of like a pseudo origin story for for Leia. And, and in that, she's actually really builds up the character. And I think that's one of my still one of my favorite books. The top three is uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. And that's also a a young adult novel that feels like it it's really an adult novel, the way it's written, the way it just doesn't feel like it's catered to a younger audience. And I think that's um, across the board with her books, like Lost Stars, the same thing. Like I wouldn't discount that book just simply because it's a young adult. And here we have another book, Into the Dark, and it's the same same thing here. You know, we know what to expect from Claudia Gray. And, and right off the bat, I was like, ah, yeah, I know what I'm getting into. And uh, definitely... Definitely didn't disappoint. So yeah, I'm really a big fan of Claudia Gray, and uh, especially after reading this book, I, I hope to see more from her, especially in the High Republic. And Mark, how about you? What are your thoughts on Claudia Gray and her works? I'm in the same boat. On uh, Beyond the Films, we say she's the new Zon. Um, nice. And in fact, <laughs> she, she's hitting it more out of the park than even Zon is right now. In I mean, Zon's <laughs> books are good, but Claudia Gray's are definitely a top shelf books. Um, and, and like you mentioned, the fact that these are advertised and marketed as young adults, as we say on Beyond the Films, these might as well be adult mm-hmm. books because they have adult topics. Um, her books have had, you know, sexual encounters. Uh, things that are very much more on the adult end of young adult than it's on the young side. And, you know, it's always done in a way that has always felt in universe. And it's always been intriguing. I'm not the encounters themselves, but her stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 for me, I definitely think that you give her any kind of story and she is going to rock it. And bloodline for me was, was what really proved that because that was a story that I, I felt like I didn't care about, but it's probably one of my most reread and re-listened to uh, of the new Canon books. I just, I just kept getting more out of it each time I would listen or each time I would reread it. And I mean, you know, that, that always happens with every star Wars. Like if you reread something the most, that's probably going to be the, your favorite book eventually because you get more insight out of every read. Uh, but she's definitely got one of those where you don't feel like you're treading old ground, even though you've read the story a couple times. So that's definitely something I, I appreciate about her writing style. The way she she digs into the characters and stuff really fleshes them out. I love that aspect of things. Um, but but seeing her tackle Jedi, I think that's something that for me, that's what I'm most excited about this era. Because it seems like since canon rebooted, the Jedi have taken kind of a backseat outside of shows like Rebels and, and Rey's story in the saga. And we don't know if there's ever going to be any books and stuff about Rey establishing, you know, a new Jedi order of her own and stuff like that. But it's definitely felt like the Jedi have been on a decline in the time frame of the most current stories in the timeline. Um, so going back and getting to see, you know, the Jedi at, at what could be their prime, although I still feel like 200 years isn't that far of time to have gone back. Like they should have really jumped far, far back and really liberated themselves. It would have been nicer to have an era where you could take Alderaan, for example, and cause some kind of force catastrophic event that turns it into Mustafar for about 500,000 years. And then eventually it gets, you know, <laughs> rebuilt back up to what we see in the, in the other films. Like, I think that'd be a really cool way to really explore things, but you know, I digress. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I agree. Like my, my initial so- reaction to the 200 years, cause we were hearing reports and rumors. Oh, it's going to be 500, 400 years. I'm like, that's fair. That's fair. Then they're saying 200 years. I'm like, wait a minute. And I started putting the question out there. Is that, is that too soon? I mean, yeah, look at the general timeline of what we know in Star Wars. It's like, what is it, like 80 years from uh, Phantom Menace over to like Rise of Skywalker or something in that ballpark. 
I I think it's 67 Mm -hmm. years because I remember thinking, oh, it's kind of funny that like from Phantom Menace to Force Awakens is 66 years because 4066 or yeah. So I'm like looking at that. I'm like, oh, well, it's not much further off than all of that stuff that happened. But then they started talking about the plot and the story because I'm I'm a big Knights of the Republic fan. So looking at that stuff, I'm like, oh, that's not Mm -hmm. even far at all compared to 4,000 years in the past like them. Um, but then they were talking about exploration and like, oh, wow, things really happened pretty quickly if they were just discovering the Outer Rim 200 years prior. So Right. The other side of it that really upsets me by not going back as far is you eliminate the opportunity to explore the Sith more because we're still in the era now of the rule of two and that they should, in theory, be wiped out or real closely. I mean, I don't know if they ever say when exactly the Jedi thought they were done for you know there are no more sith around we've killed them all um but the fact that we don't have that at all and, and that's something too that in legends the the farther back you went with the sith the more complex their story was it's like what do you mean they're a species what the hell they're not a species like and then you discover all this and you're like wait they're a dark jedi they bred with them so what like it got so layered and yet in canon all we know is that they're just a dark side force yeah. tradition like we don't there's nothing more beyond that i mean they sprung perhaps from the jedi i think it would be really cool to find out that the jedi sprang from the sith personally but uh you know it's an opportunity that they really could have jumped into if they'd have gone back a little farther and you also got characters like yoda uh maz kanata could show up Mm -hmm. because she's still alive at this time she not so much but his dad (laughs) yeah i I mean i simply think they're playing it safe right now because they want to make sure they can put the feelers out there if the the fans really dig the storytelling here um then they then they might go back in the past i always think that if they're dealing with the sith on a large scale they they should probably do something that's more live action or more animated or something that's in the visual realm of things because people really want to see that i mean you watch those old republic trailers um and you just that they're incredible seeing that many sith and that many jedi on screen at once like that's something to behold and uh and i I also think they're very careful dealing with those things because they're so beloved in the fans eyes that they don't want to screw it up either so they're really trying to do their best to like not go there very quickly yet until they get a good barometer on what the fans think about other things in in the fandom right now I, i guess right I, I do like that idea of the Jedi springing from the Sith. And because, like, we know that the Jedi Temple on Coruscant was built over an ancient Sith temple in canon. So maybe that could be possible, but we don't really know yet, I guess. Mm-hmm. That was always one of the things I always enjoyed, too, about the New Jedi Order series was when they put that out there. Like, think about it. Why would the Jedi build their temple on a nexus of the dark side? Like, wait, that's a good question why would they (laughs) and if you haven't seen what chris was talking about about the jedi and the sith fighting check out the trailer for the old republic deceived it's definitely worth your time nice and yeah with claudia gray i really enjoy her writing as well um i really enjoyed lost stars Mm -hmm. probably not as much as most of the fandom does but i do think it's great like it does hit the familiar beats of the movies but the characters are well written um and bloodline was a really great political thriller with leia and then you see a younger version of her and leia princess of alderaan and that is one of my favorite canon novels because you get like her relationship with her adoptive parents and it's something 
you don't really get in the movies and such. So that was like really great to see there. And then you get Master and Apprentice and from a certain point of view, which I love that whole, well, most of that collection. And then, of course, the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan novel, Master and Apprentice, which is probably my second favorite canon novel behind, um, well, I don't know if it's second, taking the High Republic stuff into account. I might have to recalibrate my rankings, but like Dark Disciple is has been my favorite for a while. And like Master and Apprentice is pretty close to the top i really enjoyed that one and how that and like even the video game fallen order um explored the jedi more and so i do like we're getting kind of a resurgence with the jedi and all these different things now Mm -hmm. so getting into into the dark um so obviously there are a bunch of characters in this but it mostly focuses on this padawan named wreath silas and uh like he is like, he's someone who would rather stay at the temple and study the Jedi archives. Um, and he reads about all sorts of weird stuff. All sorts of uh, creatures. I think he, he just really likes, like, the zoological aspects of the galaxy. I mean, we see his browsing histories, like, looking up Minox and Exogorse and all sorts of weird things. Like, okay, <laughs> what, what, what use is this going to be to you in the field? I guess he's just trying to entertain himself and, and, and likes to just like kind of cozy up um, in some comfortable uh, Jedi clothes and just cruise around uh, their, their historical database. From a storytelling standpoint, I think it's a brilliant move, though, because if they need anybody to be an authoritarian on any topic, he just happens to know, you know, like it's like Ray having the flight simulator. She needs to get a ship. Hey, she just happened to have learned. You know, you can find out that he did a whole semester on mechanics, like any topic available. Boom. There you go. It just turns out that he was studying the books. Yeah, for sure. And so he is sent on this um, mission, like he's sent out from Coruscant with other Jedi and some traveling companions. And this is set like during the other couple books that have come out, because as we see, like, during this journey, like, they're supposed to go on some diplomatic mission somewhere, but then, like, the great disaster happens, and shards from, like, that ship, um, I think it was called the Legacy mm-hmm. Run, like, spread across the galaxy and hit their ship, and so it's like they have to take refuge at this abandoned space station, which I thought was an interesting angle, like, have, instead of having them deal with, like, the main conflict we see them affected by the great disaster somewhat and they have no choice but to go somewhere where they encounter kind of a different conflict it kind of shows like that there can be all sorts of different consequences to this that might not all be the same yeah like the reality for the people at large they don't care about what's happening to the main galaxy they got their own heat going on right so They find this abandoned space station and, like, try to land there, try to figure out what to do from there. But they notice that all sorts of strange things start happening. So, like, at one point, did you guys figure out that, like, something was up here? Like, what was kind of the first Well, they land, and there's nobody that greets them when their ship lands on the landing platform. It's just, like, echoes, you know? It's It's just like that that quintessential like okay 
I feel like we're alone here. Like, you know, there's there's like wreckage. Like, it looks like there hasn't been anybody there. There's there's wreckage in the hangar bays. If there's an accident, there's some lights flickering. There's like some some exhaust uh, type of stuff leaking from the ceiling, like smoke and steam and stuff. So I was like, okay, what is going on here? <laughs> right as soon as they landed on the station it picked up a joe schreiber vibe you're like is this death troopers like wait yes. a minute, is this claudia gray <laughs> i was not prepared for this like and honestly like just the fact that the station the way she described it i was immediately pulled in i was like okay what happened to everybody on the station why is it empty you know i mean i immediately forgot about the fact that there was all this other stuff going on which when you come to think about it like holding up in a station while there is a galaxy-wide disaster of basically hold-on maneuvers happening, like, how is that going to protect you? If a chunk of the ship were to come out of hyperspace and ram into the side of the space station, won't they be just as dead as if they were in their ship? <laughs> right. I did get those Joe Striper vibes as well. Like, you know, I think Death Troopers even took place on some abandoned ship. Yeah. And I really loved reading that book back in the day. Um, I think it could have done without a cu couple certain cameos but otherwise like that and red harvest were really good star wars horror novels mm -hmm. and so i kind of wonder if claudia gray kind of took cues from joe schreiber's stuff for this one yeah i'm not actually familiar with that troopers mm -hmm. that's that's one book i haven't read so um but i i've heard really good things about it and how creepy as heck it really is so Oh yeah, it's got like mm -hmm. stormtrooper zombies. It's <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean Schreiber's more like like a saw movie, whereas this one felt yes. more like you're like I, I'd almost say Blair Witch Project yeah. because it's like you're just out there, you're alone, and what yeah. you don't see is more terrifying. It's almost like the first couple seasons of Supernatural, where the less they show of the bad guy, the more terrifying it is. Oh, yeah. And like for much of the book, we're not sure what exactly is at this station. Like we hear, uh, like they mentioned, like hearing some like footsteps or like some skittering or whatever, like every now and then. But they can't figure out like what it is. So mm -hmm. it really builds up the suspense. And like as they're progressing through the station, like a couple of them start disappearing. And that's when, you know, like stuff's going to go down, you know? It almost felt like a Scooby-Doo mystery at that point. It's like, where did Velma go? <laughs> like, oh, she was just there. Uh, no, what, what really was interesting to me was the design of the space station. And I didn't realize how big it was until they got deeper into it. And then they found that cave hidden behind the wall. And you're like, whoa, wait, this is all an asteroid? And when they went down in there, I mean, dude, then it started to get this whole Indiana Jones vibe. I was like, Temple of Doom and stuff. Like, I was waiting for some kind of Sith reference at any point. I'm like, please, <laughs> please bring in the Sith. Bring in some Darksiders. This is getting real creepy. Like, I almost felt like it was Jason and Lamaya, uh, when they were on that, that one planet where she was trying to seduce Jason in the, uh, Fate of the Jedi or, or whatever it was. Legacy of the Force. <laughs> Had that same type of vibe. Like, who built this? Yeah, and we get, like, weird stuff, like the cave that's, like, hidden behind a wall, and, like, Wraith is, like, we have to, like, explore it. There's also another character that's depicted on the front cover, and, and her name is uh, 
Sila uh, Borath, and she's got this this gear on because she's actually a, a Republic Special Forces operative, and so we're coming at it with with these two different characters, and she's kind of more grizzled because he's a Padawan, but she's kind of there escorting him for whatever they're going for. I forget that that detail, but I think it's pretty cool because the way they bounce off off of each other, he's pretty naive. Whereas she is the seasoned kind of veteran that is is going through there with more of like, okay, I this is what we got to do. We got to go to this place and do that. And he's like, okay, yes, whatever you say. You know, <laughs> it's like, what do you think about her as a character? Definitely the the gun ho, kind of like the gadget of the group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like she, like I got the sense that she felt more confident than he did, which is kind of funny to see, like because. You know, he's a Jedi, he's supposed to be brave, supposedly, but he's kind of doubting himself every now and then. But I did like their back and forth, their whole dynamic, and it's like, together they have to lead the group, like, hand in hand. And so, sometimes they have arguments every now and then about the next move to make, but you do get the sense that they do respect each other and just want to do whatever is best yeah for so the, the first objective group. would be for them to kind of find what happened to the station so you know with sila she's experienced with finding out different ways of whereabouts of different locations and whatnot so they have to get to the central processing um hub so that is that is their mission they're in the hangar they gotta travel a pretty good distance and it's for the most part, this is a very foreboding type of environment because you got the lights flicker and you got some strange noises and they they know they're not alone there. This is kind of where um, Reef's like, zoological um, expertise comes in handy because they are confronted by these fear knocks, which are, they look very hungry, um, but he kind of knows like some stuff about them and like how to handle them. So how did you guys feel about how Yeah, I was getting some serious them? Star Wars Rebels connections from the first season when we had Ezra Bridger and all those guys. They had to deal with the Fear Nox on that abandoned Clone Wars facility, which ended up being in season seven of Star Wars the Clone Wars, believe it or not, I think, right? <laughs> I think that was the same location. But anyway, so yeah. yeah, I was getting flashbacks to that because then you have you have Wraith, who is basically just like doing like beast mastery on some of these fear knocks. And he's because you got to think about it, this character. He doesn't want to ever use his lightsaber like ever, like unless like something attacks him. He's going to have to defend himself with the lightsaber or whatever. But most of the time, he'll try to at least like either bargain with the person to try to calm him down. Or if it's a creature, try to use like the force to like not cause, you know, permanent damage to them or whatnot so that's that's his first instinct is okay you know he tells sila like okay i i, I deal with this i know what this species is I, I i think i could maybe calm them down enough for us to have safe passage and uh i i was shocked by how good he was at actually performing this this force tame ability or whatever it was mentioned as in the book i forget but it was pretty cool because it was like the first big moment in this story where like Oh, we get to see this Jedi in action, not with a lightsaber, but showing some good mastery of the Force for just a Padawan. 
At yeah. first, I was irritated, though, because the whole reason why he didn't like to ignite the lightsaber, like, I thought it was too cliche at first. He's like, if I ignite my lightsaber, I've already failed as a Jedi. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you're going there. Okay, I see where you're going with that. But when we got to that moment with, with the the Fear Knocks, I think just the way that Claudia Gray described that scene with the hallway having limbs thrown all over that made them a lot scarier when I was, because th- I was, I didn't put two and two together at first that they were the same ones from Rebels. And then once I realized that, I was like, oh man, just that little detail with the limbs and stuff made them seem a lot more threatening than, yeah. than I ever thought of. Like, we yeah. didn't get that in Rebels. But like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, like with all the limbs that are strewn in the hallways, you got like a couple of characters who pretty much lose their lunch and whatever. Um, so they, keep on progressing, but of course the fear knocks are not the only thing that's at this station. They hear like something like that sounds it's described as like very heavy and like um everyone's trying to get ready, get on the defense, and then that's like we eventually discover that there is like this character who is very menacing, like the way they're described. It is a hut who has peak <laughs> physical condition. Now Mark, you, we've talked about this, how, like, this reminded you oh, of Oh, yeah, Bildorin, Legends, the hut. Right? He was a Jedi-like hut, though. I, I liked the way that they used the slug light aspect of huts. Like, like you find out that he had been basically dodging and hunting the Fearnox, and would kind of, like, octopus himself through the stuff. I was like, that was an interesting trait that I had never thought they would do with a hut. And I was like, man, now that's, that definitely makes them different. Cause you always see them and you see them really fat and stuff. But then to think that like, they could be like an octopus and squeeze their entire flatulent body <laughs> through a little wall crack. I'm like, okay, that makes them a little more intense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, that's something else. <laughs> yeah. And this hut says that, uh, he's, been here for like longer than he can remember like to the point where he doesn't even remember his name so yeah he seems like he's kind of lost it and he mentions that there's someone else whom he's at odds with here and i was just gonna say i I wanted to add in we can't forget about how he actually sounds or how they or how claudia gray writes like how the characters hear him because he's got like he's got like one of those like vocabulator like necklace things where he's speaking hot teas like it amplifies it into a basic but like the basic that comes out of his amplifier is like very distorted and it just sounds menacing as hell. Like it sounds so deep and it's just like, oh my gosh, like the characters hear him. It's just like, like their, their hair stands on their, on their, on their lips, on their arms. It just stands up. It's like, oh my gosh, like this guy's crazy. The accentuation <laughs> of the V's and the Z's while he was yeah. talking was kind of cool. You, you did kind of almost feel like, Maybe the vocabulator was more than just a vocabulator because some of the things he said, you're like, okay, he's either really lost it or maybe he's an android. I I, I never quite figured that out until we got to the end, and I was like, okay, yeah. For, but I kept going back and forth thinking maybe that vocabulator is a droid and it's actually slaved him or something. <laughs> yeah, like I was very surprised when, like, we eventually found out that like, uh this hut has been dead for a while and it's like this droid inside of him has been like using this type of like serum to make him look alive and he's just using him as a suit and like that was just creepy as hell the way that was 
described and like this droid has like a beef with this Deveronian who's on the loose and we come to find out that like this station used to be like a casino of sorts before like uh stuff went down and like chaos ensued people rioted and then it became like the hellhole that it is and so it makes yeah, a lot of sense of because like as a player for the Old Republic, like Narshad Oz, you know, ruled over by the huts and they have the casinos that you can play and gamble in. And, and even in Star Wars Resistance, they had uh, Ranky the Hut and he was this like cold, you know, cutthroat mafia-esque hut that was just screwing over Kaz and the crew. So it felt right at home in the Star Wars galaxy, even though it's 200 years prior. It's just like, yeah, some things never change. Right. And finding out the droid angle, that made me stop and think, okay, maybe the other huts couldn't do that whole blob thing. Because, like, at that point, I started thinking, like, different technologies that I've seen in other types of shows, like the nanobots and things like that, nanotechnologies. I'm like, maybe that's what it's doing. It's like getting in there and it's just, like, totally taking all that's left. And he's just a skin sack, basically. Because, I mean, the way she described him was such a powerful character. And then when you found out that he had been basically ravaged and ruined by the robots, was like, oh. Another reason not to trust droids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in a in a meta sense, it kind of brings Huts back to their roots in that, you know, like Huts were or Job of the Huts specifically was a puppet in Return of the Jedi, and it's like this droid is basically using this hut as a puppet. So that's kind of funny to think it about. It reminded me of the Iron Knights. Definitely Did you guys creepy. ever read about the Iron Knights and Legends? Never heard of them. Uh, so they were from familiar. the RPG materials and, uh, you know, it, it was during the new Jedi order and you found out that they were some, uh, they were Jedi from, God, I can't remember the name of the species, but they were like a crystal, a sentient crystal that used droid bodies from the Clone Wars and then had went into hiding when Order 66 happened. And then when the Vong showed up, the Vong sought them out once they found out about them and they joined up with Luke's order. But, you know, they never saw them in any of the books, but they were from the RPGs. And it was always an interesting take because they were just basically droid bodies with a crystal on the inside. And the crystal was the Jedi. I was like, oh, that's kind uh. of like, totally reminded me of that in a sense. It was like, now that just flipped the script on the huts. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, like Claudia Gray does such a good job of like subverting expectations and including all these twists that like keep us on our toes. It's just amazing the way that she crafts mm -hmm. these she, I, I like the fact that we had mysteries that were already introduced about the galaxy because it definitely felt like how tales of the jedi did the same thing you know you came into the story but you had heard about this conflict that had happened before with empress tessa tita and how she had unified the system and stuff and you would look back and there would be no story about that but you would find out about that history through the story itself and her setting things up like that and then the, the relics and stuff that they found when they're in there and they're looting all the stuff like there were so many items that she gave such detail to that i'm like we're either going to find out that this has a history or it's going to be used for something later in the story. Cause it just, it was just one of those things like you don't draw that kind of attention to just certain elements unless you're planning on doing something with it later. And I got immediately excited about that because you could go either direction with the way she wrote it. Yeah. And so like everyone is like pretty on edge, like knowing that there's this sketchy Deveronian person on the loose. And when they do encounter him, like he, he has like this electro staff and he says, call me 
oh, the dark. Yeah. And so, like, I guess that's why they call this book Into the Dark, which I'll... I don't know how I feel about that choice. Well, first of all, I, I feel like Devronians always that. get a bad rap because everything that they're portrayed in is always complete scum. I mean, you look at the guy from Star Wars <laughs> Rebels, he's complete scum, and then you get Berg from The Mandalorian, who's just a maniac, and here we go with the dark, and he's just as crazy as the rest of them. But um, yeah, I mean... I don't think it was the best title for this book. I'll be honest, like Claudia Gray's books titles have been really good. And then we get this one. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> he was no villain. Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> you ever, uh, I, I immediately thought of a villain in his, uh, his Navarian version of star Wars, but I like the way that she described his face paint or, or i guess it was basically motor oil or or whatever it was the way he had ran it down his eyes and streaked it over so his face looked like the dark and they kept referencing that like he would hide in the shadows and stuff and you could almost the way the makeup picked up the shadows when he hit the light it would almost look like it would expose the head but not his face it kept looking like he had no face i was like <laughs> that's kind of cool but he was a twisted twisted character man i was like what is up with this guy like he definitely had had a hard life at some point because it definitely changed who he was into a formidable opponent yeah because he mentions that like when he was growing up like his family would um had this like tr hunting tradition and it kind of yeah. reminded me of what we learn about Tarkin and his past. And so it's like for him, like there's this, there's this, um, ongoing hunt and he's like trying to prove himself that he can survive with little food, um, like as little as possible and still like try to be like, as terrifying as he can be it's like this weird obsession yeah, that it's, he has. it's definitely intriguing how he interfaces with uh the character of the hut that is there then the fear knocks are there as well so you got like all these different components that are all kind of independent of one another but yet all kind of integrate with one another which lends to like more chaos in the story because you're not really sure if if any of these these things are cohabitations of others or whatever so it's like it it kept me on my toes like okay like you know are the fear knocks under the impressions of one of these characters or they just happen to be there it left me like just intrigued all around yeah definitely and like he picks off uh some of the group like one by one with very um little difficulty like it kind of reminded me of when grievous was introduced in the micro series and that whole thing kind of felt like a slasher movie in a way because yeah like, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for electro stabs so time. you know like a magna guard electro staff or whatever he he actually wielded and it was just it was a treat to actually hear how proficient he was with that weapon like just like you know crouching down and like doing like a 360 like slide kick in the guy and then just like charging the thing to full blast and like hitting him in the chest and making him go flying into a wall like there was some really cool acrobatic uh finesse that he had with his um athleticism there <laughs> yeah i liked i liked the cartwheel the way she described the acrobatics was kind of cool you definitely felt like you were in the moment there oh yeah definitely and like um obviously this catches uh reef and sila off guard and they're trying to keep their wits about and Reef is having difficulty um, 
trying to uh he's like trying to um use a force power that he's been trying to master but hasn't like fully mastered and so like eventually it takes him a few tries but he finally uses force speed and is able to like try to like get the Deveronian. yes yeah because it's something that happens very briefly in the phantom menace it's kind of blank and you miss it and it's like like i think force speed hasn't been explored enough like i don't know if it's like something that's like too difficult to try but uh the way claudia gray described it was like after like reef used it he felt like super tired because you know i guess if you have to use these sorts of force powers you have to um there has to be like a give and take you know like you can't be like too overpowered that which is why he feels exhausted after trying yeah and it definitely it definitely adds to like the the mandalorian with baby yoda because like he's forced healing and he just straight up passes out so it wasn't to that extent but man you really felt like reef was like i am so tapped on energy like he he had to like catch his breath and everything like it looked like he just like like sprinted like a mile it was crazy meters since like (laughs) apparently the star wars galaxy is a symmetric system yeah uh it's really weird that we don't use the metric system, I'm just saying, but yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the tension is high, the Deveronian guy is still around, and they do come across uh, some tools and fuel that can help them repair their ship, but of course, they have to like go through like the obstacles of the station and make sure that the Deveronian guy doesn't hinder all of them. Uh, he does pick off a couple more of them, but how'd, how'd you guys feel about how this novel concluded, and how'd you feel about oh, how man. it all went I, down? I like the fact that he had that critical piece that they needed for the ship to work. Like, I thought that was a clever twist, because it had felt really convenient that they found all the parts they needed at first, and then as they were putting it together, they, they had that Fast and the Furious moment where Hobbs is like, well, what's missing? And they turn it on and like, oh, like the most critical part. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that's what's hanging around his neck. So you also <laughs> had that kind of Pirates of the Caribbean feel of things. Like, you got to get the key for uh, Captain Jack or whatever so you don't go to Davy Jones' locker. Like, I thought that was a cool little twist. Like, I don't know. For me, like, I like the cl- cliche villains. So to, to give him that reason that he had to kind of go down, because the guy was just a d-bag like the way the character was just represented like (laughs) you know there was no bargaining with him he didn't want to give the part up he was keeping it for himself so i felt like you know reef was against the wall at that Mm -hmm. moment like it was an all or nothing play they had to go forward the way they did so i I like that and i appreciated that when reef straight up slaying the guy like claudia great like describes it how he like feels a surge of anger trying to like take down the guy and so it's like in the aftermath yeah. of that reef is very, feeling very yeah it was like such a monumentous moment like i, I did felt. not expect him to use the lightsaber in that regard like that's really bad for a jedi padawan to strike somebody down like that with a lightsaber it's like oh man and, you know and that's what's so great about the higher public it's like Yes, we got the conclusion to this book, but this won't be the last time that we see Raph, right? We're going to see this character in other books. Maybe he'll get another mm-hmm. sequel book to this one. He'll maybe make a cameo here and there in other books and comics. But to see his story 
going this way like this guy that we thought was like a paragon of light like he he would only use the force he would use everything in defense and then to see him at the end where he actually like somehow taps into anger for that split second and actually kills somebody i'm like oh i did not see that coming Mm -hmm. i like the fact that the librarian aspect where he was always studying up gave us all those references of other people that had had that fall like he was so worried he was going to be like uh uh, darth uh oil uh, how was that spelled? O O O O I L E. I'm probably not saying it right, but I, he threw out so many different dark siders. They weren't all Darths and stuff. And it was just every one of them. I was writing them down. I'm like, okay, there's going to be more coming here. There's going to be more there. Like I, I'm a sucker for that kind yeah. of throwaway lore. You know, if they ever come back to it, I'm beyond myself with glee. But just getting those references, I'm like, oh, this is like that uh, the, the yeah, Dark Legends book, man. Like, like there's all these dark characters. Yeah. <laughs> That was a, that was cool, and and the fact that Claudia Gray gives us that internal monologue and and the stewing of the character, uh, you know, that's something that that it reminded me a lot of Jason Solo, the way Jason kind of ended up eventually throughout his his years of of a story from New Jedi Order into Darkness and stuff falling, but at a shorter interval, and yet he's very metally aware of what's going on to himself because of his love for books and lore and history. So I thought that was a really interesting conflict that was going on in his head while he was laying there as they were leaving and, and they're flying away off in the ship. And you just have all that moment of just him just like be- beating himself down. And yet you can feel exactly why he's doing it because all the way through the book, like like you said, him being the Paragon of Light, like I, it just it hurt, man. It was like, ah, dude. Like you let yourself down and you know it. Whereas like with Jason, like he had convinced himself he was doing all the wrong things for all the right reasons. Whereas this guy was, he was trapped. He had no other choice. And that weighs on him because he's just like, you know, yeah, I know I didn't have a choice, but I, I probably did. And they never give us what, it, what that choice should have been, but he's definitely playing it hard on himself. So I'm wondering how that's going to eventually impact the character or lead him one way or the other when it comes to terms of light and dark yeah and wasn't jason also an animal mm-hmm. person no he was, was yeah he was the kinship with animals oh yeah well, yeah i definitely got those vibes mm-hmm. with this character so i thought that was very interesting and yeah after they repair the ship um they're able to get the fear knocks on because they want to be able to bring them back to their natural habitat and he can still like guide them and whatnot um, so everyone's safe on the ship. But, like, the droid that was, like, using the hut says that it wants to stay at the station in case, like, anyone else comes. And it's, like, this really weird moment. But, like, I mean, there's not a whole lot of room on the ship for the hut uh, body, yes. I guess. So they, they just Do you think that them weird. putting the beacon out there telling everyone to stay away from the station is going to be enough? Because, like, leaving that character alive and on the station felt like like we're not done here. Like he's going to be coming back. And it seemed like, you know, Claudia Gray went out of her way to put up like, well, we're just put out this beacon. So no one will avoid like, when does that ever work? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there is a follow-up, like it could be interesting to see more people like, uh, end up at this station, but at the same time, it might feel too repetitive. Like I want to see like what's next with, uh, Silas and like how this incident will like 
haunt him on like his future yeah it definitely you know? led to some storytelling that really will branch off and a different character that's what's so great about the higher public is just the potential of all these like intersecting storylines now and especially at the end of the book when you see wrath return to the starlight beacon and you see these other it was like this big cool moment where you see like all these other characters from if you've read um the test of courage and uh you know, Light of the Jedi, you you see Loden Great Storm, you see all these characters. Uh Staros was there with her buddy. Um Trennis uh, was there, all these characters, and it's like, oh yeah, see, that these are all connected here. And he has to report to the Jedi Council about his findings and uh Ooh, that was that was a scene to leave off on for sure. Cause it it definitely had a, a nice conclusion to him reciting his events, but it also led to like ooh, like is he going to reveal his turn of the dark side to these characters or not mm -hmm. I, I liked how claudia gray threw out so many different characters so like now i'm even more curious like how many more are going to be in books that we haven't even been told yet but they happen to be side characters like i i i think that would be a really cool aspect if they go forward with that because i was surprised at how many people it almost felt like alexander freed's <laughs> story there were so many character names being thrown at me at once i was like I need I need a pen. I need a character list. Yeah, What's going on? I love those moments, but it's also a little overwhelming. At points where it's like, oh, should I know that character name or no? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do love the connectivity, and it does seem like they're really fulfilling the promise of like synergy in this project. Um, so I guess with that, we can go into final thoughts and score out of ten. Uh, so I guess we'll start with. Mark, what are your final thoughts on Into the Dark and I, Score I'm out of 10? trying to understand still how it's going to play in with the greater scheme of things. As a standalone story, if I was to just take it, you know, as it is, I felt like it was a really strong story. It was really fun. It felt like a Star Wars adventure, you know, like you travel along, all of a sudden something happens, now you're in this place. Uh, almost kind of like Mortis in a sense, you know, like they're doing their thing. Then when the adventure's over, they go off and they're doing their own thing again. So I, I like that. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the next couple books play out and how much of this is going to come back and how much of it will play out throughout the series as it goes on. Because uh, Claudia Gray has never been light when it comes to just dropping little details. She definitely picks up on them, but she always does it in such subtle ways that if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely hoping that I catch all those little things because when you put that kind of hard work in, it's, it's good to be recognized for it. Um, overall, I would say this was probably a strong seven for me. Um, you know, I, I felt like the characters were good. Uh, the reason why they got there was good. I And I think the only hardest thing going against it is the premise of the overall series as to why the hyperspace stuff is happening. Like it, it they don't dwell or give enough narrative on that for me to really feel like, okay, I'm all in on that aspect of it. So I feel like, like that's still like this backdrop of what's going on, but I feel like that was really irrelevant to the story aside from the fact that it pushed him onto the station. I mean, they could have come up with a couple reasons to have done that. Like, so in that regard, I was like, yeah, I can't give it high marks, but it's definitely a strong story. It's probably one of Claudia's <laughs> high marks. <laughs> uh, Chris, what are your final thoughts on Score Out of 10? Gray writes a pretty good horror novel in the Star Wars universe, right? Well, like, we, we know about her writing, like, politics and stuff like that in Star Wars, and for her to go in this yeah. direction, was like, <laughs> whoa, she's actually pretty good at doing this. Like, there's lots of moments of tension that lead to moments of that are unknown, but it also <laughs> really goes into the strong characters that she's always been 
known for writing with Wraith, especially his his journey as a Jedi Padawan and the turmoil that he's going through and that big shocking twist at the end when he slays uh, the Deveronian. It, it really lended to some really surprising storytelling. And uh, I will say that, you know, since it's not dealing with the overall galaxy that much, like we've gotten in Leia, Prince of Alderaan or Bloodline or Lost Stars, we're not getting that like full galaxy conflict. So, you know, it left, some to be desired for simply like i wanted like more information i wanted more built up of uh some more exposition of like what what's going on over there there wasn't a whole lot of that which i don't know if i can penalize exactly for lack of that content but um i will say i i think uh sila i think she needs a little bit more to the character i felt like they didn't really dive deep enough into her and when you only have really like two main characters uh I think that's a mark off if if you're not 100% talking about the other one a whole lot. So uh, definitely would have liked to have more development from her her character, although I still am interested to see more about what she does in the future. Um, yeah, so with that being said, I got to give it an 8 out of 10. It's not my favorite Claudia uh, Gray book, but I think in terms of a story in the higher public, it's really nice knowing that we're going to get these different like genres of Star Wars storytelling in this new era of Star Wars uh, you know, we had that disaster movie-esque book in um, Light of the Jedi and, and, and Test of Courage really felt like a completely different adventure. And now this is just straight up horror. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to see what we're going to get in terms of uh, variety uh, going forward with the High Republic. But, yeah, definitely would say I would definitely recommend this one, though, for sure. Yeah, you make a good point about the characters. Like, usually Claudia Gray stories have very memorable secondary or even minor characters. and. Here, it's like lots of the character names are very forgettable to me. Like, they're kind of just there to be down for the count, you know, like to feed into some of the horror cliches. And there were like some horror cliches in this, but by that same token, I did love how this one was experimental in that fashion. Like, yeah, it's kind of a random side story, um, but I do like when Star Wars stories branch out and they don't feel like too much of the same thing but again like yeah i agree that like it the characters could have been more fleshed out like the villains were pretty cool uh or the villain was pretty cool and like the thing with like the droid and the hut is like very creative so i guess for me i'm gonna have to give this one a um 8.4 out of 10 like I liked it almost as much as A Test of Courage. It's pretty close, but like I said, the characters are lacking a bit, but I think that's a fair score for me. That's fair. Yep. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we've reviewed these, uh, like here on Delayed Replay, we've gone through these first few High Republic books and probably won't go through like all of them. It might just be like this first wave, these first three books, but I think it's off to a good start overall so very excited to see what's to come and uh yeah i guess we'll wrap things up so um mark uh thanks for being on again where can people find your stuff oh no, you know starwarsreport.com the second airborne division of podcasts i'm on the star wars report stars beyond the films there's old episodes of padawan's perspective and rebels roundtable that you can always listen to as well um, social media, same illogical rogue too. And of course, uh, playing video games. That's my son. Don't shoot at him though. He's been shot at a lot. 
and that's my fault. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, uh, just uh, check me out on my Star Wars stuff, or I'm TikToking now, so that too. All right, and Chris, thank you for being on again as well. Where can people find your stuff? Oh yeah, and Stephen Chris, and Mark, it's been a fantastic time well. talking Star Wars, especially stuff? the High Republic. I I'm, I feel really good about having read the first three books, especially being uh, on delayed replay, talking about all of them. It's been been really fun, just you know threading between each of the stories and really seeing how they're connecting i think they're doing a great job more than ever like yeah canon there's connections all over the place like you read um the one story that is the spark of resistance no that's spark of resistance the one that came out right before the rise of skywalker there was like a reborn resistance reborn there was a ton of connections for that paid um, off for a lot of the people that have reborn. read all the stories and and the high republic feels like that like tenfold like they've, <laughs> they've really uh coordinated you could tell they were you know they were really working hard together at the skywalker ranch to make this all flow together they they talk you know the writers all the time um constant communication it's, it's definitely paying off but yeah very very cool to be talking about all that stuff um you could find me uh, talking more about the high republic on my channel on youtube that is youtube.com slash star raptor i also have been playing a lot of star wars squadrons i have actually most of the missions on there and they'll all be on there eventually of me uh playing through them with my walkthrough so check that out i'm also on twitter uh, at star raptor as well nice and uh yeah so uh sorry i'm stumbling over my words <laughs> i'll edit that part out but yeah um yeah so go ahead and check out their links i'll put them in the show notes as for my plugs, you can find me at Stephen Schinder on Twitter and Instagram, Stephen Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. You can find my own fantasy horror comedy novel, Lemons and Like Rain. It's on Amazon. More info on that at stephenschinder.com. I've also been writing for Culture Slate. You can find them at Culture Slate pretty much everywhere and even have a Star Trek uh, podcast nice. over there called Star Trek Culture. So I'm part of that, uh, re reviewing and discussing the latest episodes of Star Trek Discovery with Liana Ahmed. Videos go up on the Culture Slate YouTube channel on Fridays, and they also go up on podcast feeds. Uh, so far, we're on Apple, and you can also go to channel1138.com slash Star Trek Culture. And um, I should also mention I've recently been on a couple episodes of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition. Um, so on episodes 304 and 305, talked with Ben Hart about Seinfeld and then Top 5 Podcasts. Got some great submissions on that one. And uh, right after this one, me and Chris are joining IPC's roundtable discussion about Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. So that'll be out at some point and should be fun. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, we did it. So without yeah, yeah. further delay, have a good All day. All right.